Okay. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited about this weekend. I, I get to meet with Mark, who is uh, one of the top candidates that the, uh, the board and the search committee has been looking at, and I've heard wonderful things about him. So I'm really excited about it, and uh, I get to meet with him on Friday. So I'm going to meet with him, and hopefully my wife, Sandy, probably be there and get to meet his wife and, and get to know him a little bit. I've heard wonderful things about him. I don't know what he's heard about me, but... I hope he's heard, oh, Pastor John's a joy to be around, right? I hope, I hope, but I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, I'm a little bit, a little bit foggy this morning, just so you know, I'm still dealing with this shingles thing, and it's kind of like a two steps forward, one step back, and, you know, I was down one day this week, and, and so I'm kind of going back and forth, but I'm fine, I'm fine. I want to tell you, like, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was like, Lord, will this ever end? I mean, sitting in a dark room with the shades drawn and all that sort of thing. I'm not there. Just, um, just a little bit foggy and headaches and stuff like that. But I know you all have been praying for me. I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. So we're continuing in the Gospel of Luke, which is the life of Jesus Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ. I was telling this to somebody the other day. You know, I, expository preaching, my son, when I came back from my sabbatical, Josh was a dad. You need to do some expository preaching. I really like when you do some expository preaching. What that is, is you just take a book, you know, or a book of the Bible, and you just go through it. And you don't pick this passage or that passage. Or that passage. And it's very challenging. It's very challenging. Because you can't, you can't come to a place in the book and go, oh, I don't like this. I'll just skip over that. No, you can't do that. It's not a smorgasbord scripture teaching. You just got to go right through. And I love that, and I love doing that. So that's what I chose to do when I came back. I had never preached through the whole gospel of Luke, and that's where we are now. And it's the life of Jesus Christ and the teachings according to Luke. You remember it was katalukon in Greek, according to Luke. And at the very beginning of this series, I pointed out that most biblical scholars divide Luke into four major sections. Okay, it's the introduction of the Son of Man, which is the Christmas narratives and, and all of that. Then the second section is the ministry of the Son of Man. The third section is the rejection of the Son of Man. And the fourth section is the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man. Today, we will be exiting section number three and moving into section number four, the last section. And if you remember way back, Way back in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke told us, he, Luke told us that Jesus set his face resolutely, or actually, literally, set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, right? He's decided, okay, we're going to Jerusalem, and we all know what happens in Jerusalem when he gets there. He set his face. And ever since that verse, that we've covered that verse, we have slowly but surely been making our way to Jerusalem with Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, miracle by miracle, and parable by parable. Lots of parables, right? We've covered a lot of parables. But we've not skipped over anything. We're covering every single verse of every single chapter. And all along the way, all along the way, every other chapter or so, Jesus has been dropping it here. He's been hinting at it here. He's been mentioning it there. Just exactly what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. His rejection, total rejection, his suffering, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. That's what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. Just last week 
In verse 32 of chapter 18, we're in 19 this week. He said it again, and just outright. Jesus said, he will be delivered. The Son of Man will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked, mistreated, and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day, he will rise again from the dead. So here, here we are about to enter Jerusalem. We're right there, right on the cusp of the final days of Jesus' earthly life, his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's the climax of the Gospel of Luke. Chapters 19 through 24 we'll be doing over the next several weeks, more than that. But by way of review, in case you were not here last week, last week we learned about the persistence in prayer. I think Rhonda put something on the board thread about being persistent and being devoted to prayer. So we learned about persistence in our prayers, and we learned about that with the parable of the widow and the unrighteous judge. We learned about the importance of humility and a a repentant heart when we go to God for mercy and forgiveness with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember that? Have mercy, Kyrie eleison, right? The song we sang, we closed with. We also heard about having faith like a child and trusting God over materialism and over riches and wealth. And we learned that through the failure, the failure of the rich young ruler who put his trust in material things rather than God, and therefore did not follow Jesus. However, Jesus made it clear that he rewards those who sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Those who will follow him, he rewards us. But sometimes following Jesus is not easy, is it? Some of you know that. It's not easy. Sometimes it can be very hard. But Jesus rewards us. Chapter 18 closed with the blind man Bartimaeus regaining his sight because of faith in Jesus Christ and the compassion of Jesus and his faith in him. And as I already pointed out, just to reiterate, Jesus reminded the disciples, remember verse 38 there, yet once again, what would transpire in Jerusalem? It's coming, it's coming. And we will enter Jerusalem today in this chapter 19. We're we're almost there. Would you pray with me? Pray with me, please. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten us today, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to understand what true conversion looks like when someone comes to know who you really are and lives like it by following you. Lord, open our eyes to comprehend what it means for us to follow you and live for you, using our gifts and talents and resources to build your kingdom until you come again. And Lord, help us to understand how you could do what you did. It's hard. It's hard to wrap my mind around. Lord, how you could choose to enter Jerusalem knowing the suffering and the pain that you would face for us. Help us to wrap our minds around that kind of love, your kind of love. Help us to perceive that and understand that and grasp that because it is so foreign to our world. We pray in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. So chapter 19 starts out with Danny DeVito. Oh, there he is. Okay, well maybe it doesn't exactly start out with Danny DeVito, but it starts out with someone very much like Danny DeVito. Someone who was small in stature, at least that's the way the Bible describes him. His name is not Danny DeVito, but his name is Zacchaeus, right? And he was small in stature. You may have heard about him. 
He's a tax collector. And uh, there's a famous song about him, at least in VBS, right, Rhonda? VBS and Sunday school circles. And uh, it went like this. I'm going I'm to sing it for you. And, and I didn't put the words up or anything like that. I don't have time to teach it to you. But if you know it, I know some of you do, sing it with me. It goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. See, you don't have to sing it with Scottish. A wee little man. You don't have to do it like that. A wee little man. Sing it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. One more time. For I'm going to your house today. Give yourselves a hand. That was excellent. That was excellent. How many of you know that song? You actually know that song. Okay. It's not Danny DeVito, but it's somebody like him, right? It's Zacchaeus, okay? This real-life story, this isn't a parable. This is a real-life story about repentance, restitution, and restoration. The restoring of our relationship with God, which is the word salvation. Salvation. The life of Zacchaeus is transformed by the person and presence of Jesus Christ during a fairly short interaction, just in, in one day, just one little dinner party or something like that, where Jesus reaches out to him with open arms of grace and mercy. I think this is a good example of how we deal with people in our culture that don't agree with us and sometimes aren't very nice at us and they attack us and they attack Christianity and all those kinds of things. But Jesus doesn't go to Zacchaeus and say, oh yeah, everything you're doing is okay. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, yeah, your, your lifestyle's fine. He doesn't do that, but he loves him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't shun him, but he reaches out with his love, his love. It says, I'd like, to, I'd like to spend some time with you. I'd like to talk about God. I'd like to tell you how God has affected my life. Jesus reached out to him. He didn't stay away from him, and I think that teaches us that we need to spend some time with sinners. He called them sinners, but we need to because Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Um, Jesus opens his arms with grace and with mercy, okay? And the result is salvation for Zacchaeus, and that is clearly evidenced in the change in his life, the transformation in his life. This story ends um, with Jesus making a statement that many Bible scholars believe is one of the keys to understanding this particular gospel. And this is it. It's the last verse um, in this story. It's verse 10. It says, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus was lost. Jesus sought him out and saved him. That great truth is also echoed in the three parables of chapter 15. You remember? It was my favorite week. I think it was the lost, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. So listen as I read and comment on chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you've got your Bibles with you, follow along. It should be on the screen behind me. He entered Jericho. Okay, Jericho, been there, I'm going to talk about it. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a supervisor of tax collectors, right? And they were hated, by the way. They were hated. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was of small stature. He was like Danny DeVito, okay? 
He's like your, um, your um, five or six-year-old when you go to the Christmas parade. Well, they got to put him up on your shoulders. He couldn't see. So listen to verse 4. So he ran ahead because he knew the road that Jesus would be going down. He ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. So Zacchaeus is smart. He's thinking, okay, I can't see him here, but I'm going to go on down and climb up in this tree. Sandy and I went to Jericho when we were in Israel, and they showed us a sycamore tree. And the sycamore tree is about the size of a good-sized grapefruit tree, but the, t- the trunk is wide, but the branches are down low. So it's what, would be, what we would know as a great climbing tree, right? You know, Caleb, Greg, Caleb would be up that tree right away. It's a great climbing tree. So he goes to the sycamore tree because he knows where Jesus is going to be. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today, I must stay with you in your house. May I stay at your house? So basically, he invites himself to lunch. Right? That's what Jesus does. He knew who he was. He targeted him and invited, invited himself. And he hurried and came down and received Jesus gladly. Verse 7. When they saw it, they all began to grumble. We don't know who they were. Was it the disciples, the Pharisees? We don't know. But they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Listen to this. This is amazing. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. He never would have said that before he met Jesus. (laughs) Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Wow. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Whose house? Zacchaeus. Because he too is a son of Abraham. He is a believer. He is a follower. And then verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. So what do we learn about Zacchaeus there? Well, he was a chief tax collector. He was rich and he was hated. Because he worked for the Romans, basically. He made his riches off of the backs of his own people. It was a dishonest profession. Hated by the people of Israel. Right? He was curious about Jesus. We don't know why, but he had heard of him. Everybody had heard of Jesus right by this time, and he wanted to see him. He was small in stature, kind of a shorter dude, Danny DeVito. Right? That's who he was. And Jesus knew him. Why? How do we know that? Zacchaeus. He called him out. Zacchaeus, come down. He called him by name, and he invited himself to lunch, and Zacchaeus came down. Everybody grumbled. Because he was going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus goes through this transformation. As an offering, he says, because of what I've done, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. Because I've got too much money anyway. That's what he's saying. All right? And then he says, and anybody I've cheated, I'm going to pay it back four times. Four times. That's called restitution. That's when you do something wrong to someone, something that you shouldn't do. You do something to try and make it right. He says, I'm going to do four times as much. I'm really going to make it right. That's restitution. Something happened to Zacchaeus. And what happened? Okay, Jesus. That's the only explanation. Jesus happened, which means salvation happened. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. He sought him and he saved him from his own selfish existence and separation from God. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus was lost. And guess what? Jesus sought many of you out, didn't he? And he called you. And he targeted you. And he saved you. He saved me. Why? Because I was lost. I was lost. 
But he sought me and he saved me. And people, people like Zacchaeus. Next is the parable of the ten minas. Minas is a unit of weight in Israel, but also of money, just like a talent. I think ten minas equals one talent. And Luke tells us the reason Jesus taught this parable was because the disciples and some others supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. They're going to Jerusalem, and the disciples are okay, okay, here it is. This goes. Jesus has been telling us about Jerusalem. Here it is. You know, the kingdom of God is going to appear immediately. So that's what Luke says is the reason. The point of the parable is, yeah, not so much, not so fast. It's not going to be immediate. That's what this parable is about. It's going to be a while before the kingdom of God is, is manifested to the world. Jesus is saying there's a lot of work to be done before that happens. There's a lot of planning and planting and plowing and preparation that needs to happen before the kingdom of God comes to fruition and is revealed to the world. And he's saying in this parable, it's going to involve you. It's going to involve us. And I'm saying to you who are here today, it's going to involve us, our church. It's going to involve you and your life and your relationships. It's going to involve all of us, the revealing of the kingdom of God. Listen to verses 11 through 15 as I read. It says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, this is what I just said, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So that's the purpose of the parable, and here's the parable. Verse 12, and he said, a nobleman, this is the parable, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Right there, spoiler alert, that's making reference to the second coming, right? That's inklings of the second coming. Verse 13. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. Now, he didn't give each of them ten minas. He gave each of them one mina. And you'll, we'll find that out later. Ten slaves, and he gave them each. He gave ten minas to them, one apiece. And then he said, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. In other words, don't bother coming back. We don't want you to come back. We don't want you to be our Lord. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. So in those four verses, Jesus makes allusions to going away to a distant kingdom, right? And then for a while, and then returning, second coming. Ah, but he gave minas, or money, resources, to his servants so that they could be working and multiplying his kingdom and his holdings while he was gone. Again, this is about the second coming. It's all tied in here, which we've heard about the last couple of chapters. I think those servants represent the disciples, first of all, but not just the 12 disciples, the wide circle of disciples. The Bible mentions about 120 or something like that, but there were probably more. But it also represents us. It's them and us multiplying the good news of the kingdom of God and growing the kingdom of God until the second coming, until he returns. Then the nobleman checks the books and asks, what did you do in this parable? What did you do? with what I gave you. So listen to that in verses 16 through 27. What did you do with what I gave you? The first servant appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. Wow, 
times 10, right? Verse 17, and he said to him, well, good slave, um, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over 10 cities. Wow. The second slave, okay, came saying, your mina master has made five minas. That's good too, right? And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. Another came and said, Master, here is your mina, which I kept and put away in a handkerchief. So he didn't do anything with it. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, the master, the nobleman said, by your own words, I will judge you. And you worthless slave, did you, it's like, oh, did you now, right? Did you know, did you really know that I was an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, those who were standing around, those who were standing around, he said, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they dropped their jaws, right? And they said, but master, he has 10 minas already. He has 10 minas already. And then Jesus in the parable says this. The nobleman says, I tell you that everyone who has more shall be, everyone who has more shall be, I'm sorry. I tell you to everyone, everyone who has more shall be given. But the one who does not have, even what he does will be taken away. Why? Well, because the people who had more were faithful. And the one who didn't have anything, was not faithful. So he took that away and gave it to someone else. Okay? So, but this, the enemies of mine, these enemies of mine that I mentioned earlier, he says, who did not want to reign, me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. That's pretty rough. That's a rough way to end a parable, but that's what it says. But as we read through that parable, as we just read through it, okay, you probably noticed that this is very similar to the parable of the ten talents in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, and you would be right. You would be right. It is almost uncanny how much alike they are. And that would make sense. This is Luke's version of that teaching. Okay? And that, Matthew 24, is Matthew's version of the parable. A little bit different. But the message is the same. Even though the delivery and some of the elements are different, for instance, Luke uses minus, okay? Matthew uses talents. Um, Luke talks about the nobleman who went to receive a kingdom. Luke talks about a man who went away on a journey and then returned. It's the same message, the same points about the same concerns. It's like the same parable, just a little bit different. So they're about to enter Jerusalem. When Jesus tells this parable, they're almost there. And Jesus has told them over and over and over, like we said, again, what's going to transpire? What's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem? And he's telling them it will be just as the prophets have foretold. And as I have been telling you, the Son of Man will be given over into the hands of the Gentiles, which is what? The Romans, right? And he will suffer and be scourged and killed, but he will not stay dead. He will rise on the third day. And then at the very end of Luke, you'll know when we get there, the very end, he ascends into heaven. He goes away. You see, he's going away for a while. Luke said it was a nobleman 
who was going to receive a kingdom. Matthew said that he's a guy that's just going on a journey and he'll return. You see, you can't return unless you what? Yeah, go away. My kids just got back from North Carolina and they were talking about how they always hate to leave and come back. But you got to leave to come back and then when you come back, you're, you're, you're glad you're back. You got to go away in order to return. So Jesus' message to the disciples is he's going away for a while. That's what he's telling them in this parable. He's going away for a while, but he will what? Return. He's talking about the second coming of the Son of Man. And what will he find? This is the question. The parable raises this question without raising this question. What will he find when he returns? Will he find us kingdom building or bench sitting? Right? Will we be one of the ten mina servants or one of the five mina servants? Or will we be the, the one mina person that just put in a handkerchief stuck in his pocket or, or buried it? Right? What will we be? Will we, bring, will we be doing business for Jesus or will we sit on it? Sit on what? Well, the things that he's given us. The minas, the talents, the times, the gifts, all of that. Will we be doing business for Jesus? Uh, I don't want to be the one mina guy. Do you? <laughs> um, Billy Graham. How many of y'all know Billy Graham? Okay, he's one of my like, life mentors, someone that I really really look up to, and he's inspired me a lot uh, in my own ministry. But just think for a minute. What did Billy Graham do with his minus? What did he do with the time that God gave him and the gifts that God gave him? Not just him, but his organization. Goodness. Crusades all over the world. What did Billy do with what God gave him? A lot. A lot. And the Lord has given each of us, all of us, a different measure of time, how long we're going to be here, talents and gifts and resources. And the question is, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? How are we using it to build the kingdom of God? And we're all different. For instance, I consider myself kind of a jack of all trades. I'm like a jack of all trades. I'm not really super good at doing any one thing. I'm not a standout. I'm really not, not a standout in any certain area. But God has given me a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I think this is the way I put it. I was just talking with Debbie DeWitt earlier. This is the way I say it. I do the best I can with what the Lord done give me. I do the best I can with what the Lord done give me. Okay? And most of us are like that, right? Most of us are like that. And the message and point of this parable is we need to do the best we can with what the Lord done gave us, right? That's what all of us, all of us. And he's given all of us so much. It's all different. We're all different. We're all unique. We have different talents and gifts. But what are we doing with them? Well, he's given all of us the good news to share in our own unique way because we are who we are and there's no one like you to expand the kingdom of God, planning, planting, and plowing until Jesus, what? Returns. And the summing up of all things will happen. We've talked about that the last three, four weeks. Well, here we are at last. Where are we? Yeah. Jerusalem. We're here. I've been telling you it's coming. Well, here we are. We're in Jerusalem at last. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem for the last leg of his earthly mission and ministry. It's usually referred to as the triumphal, his triumphal entry 
into Jerusalem. And it starts with a very interesting twist. This really is it's very unusual. Jesus sends two of his disciples, we don't know which they are, into the village of Bethany and Bethphage to get a colt, untie him, and bring it to him to ride. Now, Bethany, you need to know, this is not far away from Jerusalem. You can stand up near the wall in Jerusalem and see Bethany, okay? It's very close. Cana's about two miles away from Jerusalem. But Bethany and Bethphage is right there. And so they're just about to enter the city. And this is what he said. He said to his disciples, just go in there, okay, go in there, and you're going to find a colt tied up, okay? Untie it and bring it to me. That's what he tells them to do. And he says, and if anyone says... Why are you doing that? You know? Why are you untying my colt? He said, just tell them the Lord has need of it. Now, when you think about it, that really is kind of unusual. The equivalent of that today would be if, if I said um, to, um, let me see, Chuck and Lee. You guys? Yeah, that's you guys. Okay? To Chuck and Lee, if I, if I said to them, um, hey, go to Fruitland Park Library, to the Fruitland Park Library, and then right there by the flagpole, there's a blue Mustang. Okay, just hop in there, the keys are in it, start it up, and bring it to me. Oh, and if somebody stops you and says, hey, why are you stealing my car? Just tell them, oh, Pastor John has need of it, right? That's kind of a strange story. I mean, that's, that's the equivalent. That's what Jesus did. Well, Luke's purpose in that, okay, his purpose in including that is to remind us that something very supernatural and providential is going on here. It's not just a coincidence that the cult was there right? It's not just a coincidence. This has all been predestined and predetermined. This is all part of God's plan for the Son of Man and for the salvation of the world. So listen for that in verses 28 through 35. 28 through 35. After he had said these things, the parable, okay, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now you remember I told you that he was in Jericho. That's where Zacchaeus was, was Jericho. Jericho is 902 feet below sea, below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,470 feet above sea level. So they're going from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So when he says they're going up to Jerusalem, they're really going up to Jerusalem, right? Verse 29, when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, it's just outside of Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, just outside, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on, which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, the disciples, went away and found it, just as he told them, the blue Mustang. It's sitting right there by the flagpole. And as they were untying the colt, the owners came and said to him, Why are you untying the colt? Why are you taking my Mustang? Right? And they said to him, The Lord has need of it. And they're like, Okay, fine. The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. So next, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And he rides on the colt to a hero's welcome. It's really more than a hero's welcome. It's a royal welcome because they call him, in the passage, they call him a king. Uh, it's kind of like when the Bucks won the Super Bowl and they came back to Tampa. Oh my goodness, what a parade, right? It was a big celebration. So that's it. He's, he's getting this royal welcome into Jerusalem. And what's hard to wrap my mind around it, and, is this. 
It's hard to wrap my mind around that Jesus receives that kind of a welcome when he enters Jerusalem, but he walks out of the city just five days later, four days later, walks out of the city with his own cross on his shoulder, carrying a cross to his own crucifixion. How'd that happen? It's five days. It's hard to understand how that could happen. But it was all a part of God's plan. It was foretold in the prophecies. Listen to Luke 19, verses 36 through 40, as I read those. Thirty-six through forty, and as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And you remember in Matthew, they also waving palms. That's not in Luke, but the fact that they put their clothes down and their coats down for him to ride over is there. So they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, Sandy and I were there. It's a very steep, very steep road that comes down from the Mount of Olives. Um, the whole crowd of the disciples, that's important, of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice and for all the miracles that they had seen. This wasn't just the 12 disciples. This was all his many followers that he had. And they were shouting this, Blessed is the king, yeah, the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Sounds a little bit like what the angel said to the shepherds when he was born. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. What's he saying? What they're saying is true. What they're saying is true. In the next four verses, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Uh, and he prophesies. He prophesies about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The Romans burn. This is what happened. The Romans burn and completely destroyed the temple that was built by Solomon. That beautiful temple with all the cedars and all the gold and all of that. That They just burn it because they're tired of dealing with these stubborn Jews. They're tired. They've been rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. And the Romans said, okay, that's it. And so they do that. They destroy the temple and they level most of Jerusalem, burning all of its gates. They burned all of the gates of Jerusalem, making them defenseless to basically anyone, right? They were plundering the city, and they took all the temple treasure back to Rome. There are even statues and, and uh, mosaics of the, the Romans, you know, coming back to Rome with all of the different uh, gold things from the temple. They memorialized that as one of their great victories. The complete victory would not be really until three years later uh, with the fall of the mountain fortress of Masada, which has its own very sad story. But they held out under siege for another three years. But that's what Jesus is weeping about. He's weeping over Jerusalem. So listen for that in verses 41, 41 through 44. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Okay. And then he does this kind of soliloquy. He's talking to Jerusalem. Of course, it's everybody in Jerusalem, but he's, he's literally talking to the city of Jerusalem. He says, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. And then he, 
He prophesies. He says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. That's what happened to Jerusalem, and that's what happened to Masada. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. He's talking about the city, the people that live there. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. What's the time of your visitation? It means the Messiah. You missed it. The Messiah came and you missed your visitation. You missed your visitation. So this chapter comes to a conclusion with Jesus um, running the money changers out of the temple. Remember, it's, it's called the cleansing of the temple. They have defiled it with their greed. Basically, they're selling paraphernalia for sacrifices and turtle doves and all this. They've turned the temple into this place of commerce, like a fundraiser, right? He said, why are you doing this? And then Jesus comes back and he, says, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer, not a place of commerce, a house of prayer. And they taught, and then Jesus taught in the temple every day until his arrest and his crucifixion. Every day, it says, daily, he was teaching in the temple. This cleansing of the temple seems to be the turning of the tide for this holy week in Jerusalem. It's the turning of the tide, motivating, emboldening uh, his enemies, raising the temperature, moving him closer and closer to critical mass. Critical mass with the religious um, leaders in Jerusalem. The chief priests and the scribes are scheming and planning to destroy him and get rid of him. That's what they want to do. But Jesus, this is the thing. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. But Jesus stays steady. Okay? He stays steady. He stays on course. He stays focused on what he's there to do. Knowing he knew about the crown of thorns. He knew about the nails. He knew about the scourging. He knew all about that. If he knew that temple's going to be create, destroyed in 70 AD, he knew all of that. But he goes anyway. And who did he do that for? Us. Knowing what was going to happen, knowing the pain, he did it for us. He stays steady. He stays on course, focused on God's will for his divine rescue mission for the world. So listen to the last four verses of this chapter, starting at verse 45. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. Some translations say a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. They're all going around behind his back, trying to do things against him, trying to line him up for failure. And then it says this in verse 48, it says, and they could not find anything that they might do. Now, they couldn't dig up any dirt on him, Right? <laughs> They couldn't find anything to have him arrested. But I love this last part of the sentence. It says, for all the people were hanging on every word he said. Why? Because Jesus is Jesus. He's the master teacher. Jesus teaches and preaches as one having authority because he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. So I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to read this passage for you. The rest of it. He says, the last verse again, and they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on his every word. 
to be continued. Now, we're not going to pick this up next week because um, I'm going to be helping out with the music. It's going to be a good Sunday. We got the end of school celebration. Mark Schilling is going to be here uh, to preach, and I can't wait to Sandy to get to know him um, and spend some time with him. So he's going to be preaching next week. So this is not going to be happening next week. We'll continue it the week after. So I just, I just want you to know that. But I really want to encourage everybody to be here. Are you excited about him coming? I'm excited. I'm excited. He sounds like a wonderful person. And uh, really looking forward to meet him and his family. Um, Dave, is, he, is his wife and kids are coming too, right? Yeah. So his wife and three kids are coming. So I'm really excited about that. We actually, hearing things about him, we have a lot in common. So um, let's, let's close by singing this song of blessing.